Good afternoon. Welcome to this edition of the Richard Urban Show. We bring you news and views from God's point of view. We are very happy to have John Doyle. He's the current delegate for District 67, and we're very happy to have him here. So um, please introduce yourself. Richard, thank you. I'm John Doyle, and I represent the 67th House of Delegates District in the West Virginia Legislature in the House of Delegates. And the 67th is essentially northern and eastern Jefferson County. It's essentially the part of the county that uh, borders the Potomac River. It begins at Scrabble in the far north, uh, and uh, the half of Scrabble that is in Jefferson County, uh, and then comes down through Shepherdstown. Uh, it goes to Bakerton, down River Road, and also over to Shenandoah Junction. It has about half of Shenandoah Junction, uh, and then on to uh, uh, Harper's Ferry and Bolivar, and then to Millville, uh, and then it crosses the Shenandoah, and it has the northern part of the Blue Ridge. Uh, as you're driving from Charlestown toward uh, Leesburg on Route 9, and you cross the Shenandoah and begin to climb the Blue Ridge, it's the part that's on your left. So that is the district. Right, like Westridge Hills over there. Yeah, okay. Um, good, good, good. So what do you think, you know, in general, what is the most pressing issue or issues right now that you see like in your district or even beyond? Uh, to me, the most pressing issue is the need for clean government. And I define clean government as government that is accessible and accountable to the people, that is responsible and responsive to the people, uh, that is open and transparent. And I've been working on that uh, for a long time. Uh, I was, uh, I became particularly attuned to that with the fight over Rockwell, because a whole lot of that was done in secret. Uh, whether you want Rockwell or not, I would argue that we should not have these decisions made in secret. And I also will confess, when I, I, I served for 20 years, or 22 years actually, I'm in, I'm in my 24th year in the House of Delegates, but in three separate stints. I was elected in 82, got defeated in 84, got back in in 92, stayed for uh, 20 years, retired voluntarily in 2012, and became Deputy Secretary of Revenue uh, in Governor Tomlin's second term. And he was term limited, so when his term ended, my job ended. And I got back elected to the, le that was in 2016, and I was elected again to the legislature in 2018. When I was in before, I thought we weren't transparent enough. And I argued for greater transparency. But Richard, I will tell you, we were a whole lot more transparent than has been the case in the last half dozen years that, uh, uh, with the current leadership of the legislature. Mm -hmm. And particularly the last four years with Jim Justice as governor. Uh, Is it le well, let me interject there. Is sure. it a legislative thing, you think? where there needs to be changes or because what you're saying now is a little sub subjective in the fact that you're saying it's less transparent but presumably the laws are basically the same and also what needs to be done in your opinion to to make it more transparent i was getting to that <laughs> okay all right that's fine um 
it is both. It is a problem with both the legislature and the executive branch. Um, yes, the laws in many cases are the same, but how they are applied uh, is different. Legislatively, let me give you an example. I served for 12 years on the House Finance Committee, uh, actually 14 years, and for 12 years I was on the Budget Conference Committee. Every year I would be appointed to the Budget Conference Committee to negotiate the final version of the, of the budget with the Senate. Uh, there'd be a half a dozen delegates and a half a dozen senators. These meetings would be open to the public, to anyone who wanted to come. Uh, we would we would argue back and forth on different points of difference in the budget and come to a compromise. This last year, the final version of the budget was a private negotiation between the chair of the Senate Finance Committee and the chair of the House Finance Committee. That's not right. Uh, and in terms of the executive branch, since Governor Justice has taken over, there has been much less ability for the public to find out exactly what is going on in the various agencies of state government. So uh, now what needs to be done, now there are some changes in law that I think need to be made. Okay. One is uh, if, if a project is going to be uh, announced, like Rockwell, for example. Okay. Presently, the rules are you have to advertise it in a newspaper of local circulation. Right. You have to advertise it twice. Uh, I think you also ought to have to advertise it electronically in addition to that print advertising. Now, okay. a couple of years ago, the coal industry came up with a, with a bill that would, have, that would have done a complete switcheroo. Yes, let's, electronic, let, let's advertise it electronically, but in return for that, eliminate the requirement for advertising uh, in print. Well, this wouldn't work in coal country because uh, people in the southern coal fields, we think we've got bad internet here and bad uh, uh, cell phone service. It's much, much worse down there. And for many people, the only way they get information is the local weekly newspaper in the county. So I think, I think the requirement needs to be for both. That, that's an example of, of a mm -hmm. change in yeah, statute I would reasonable. have to, to make uh, uh, the, the executive branch more transparent. You mentioned the Rockwell, so I know that has been a major issue. And um, I noticed on your Facebook page, you're talking about the, um, I don't know if it's a lawsuit, inquiry by the Danish government. So all that being said, like currently- no, it's a, quite, uh, Yeah, it's an investigation. Okay. Investigation. And it's not, the, it's not technically the Danish government. I want to be real clear about that. Okay. It, it, it's an agency called the Mediation and Complaints Handling Institution for Responsible Business Conduct. Now, the folks at the agency say they are not a government agency, but it was created by statute, by the Danish parliament, and given the responsibility of investigating Danish companies when there are complaints. So, so it does a government job. And I think, Richard, I think maybe part of the, of the reason for, the, for that terminology might be in many parliamentary, and uh, in, in many countries that have parliamentary governments, uh, parliamentary uh, uh, forms of government, the term government refers to the party in power. You know, for example, in Britain, it's the Thatcher government or the major government 
or the Cameron government. That's how they think of the term government. I don't know if this is the case in Denmark. I'm just suggesting that maybe it is. Uh, and, and at the very least, this would be something like the Postal Service, which in this country is now an independent, it used to be part, a, a, a department, a, a cabinet department. Uh, back in the 1970s, that was changed. It's now considered to be a public corporation, but it's still thought to be part of the okay. government. Okay. Well, where do you see it going? Like, and what's your current, like, I don't want to say stand, or how, what's your current interpretation of what could or should be done regarding the Rockwell uh, plan? I saw some of your comments, but just go ahead and explain for the viewers. The, the fight against Rockwell is not necessarily against Rockwell per se. It's a fight against air pollution and water pollution. In terms of water pollution, the EPA, the federal EPA, strongly recommends to states, and West Virginia is one of the states that has what's called primacy, where our environmental uh, agency, the DEP, the Department of Environmental Protection, has the ability to regulate. But the regulations are not supposed to be any weaker than the, than the federal floor. Right. Now, the EPA says to the DEP, you should not allow settling ponds for stormwater management in karst topography, karst being the kind of porous limestone we have around here. Uh, okay. Not up on the Blue Ridge, but the rest of the county, the county, the part of the county that's in the Shenandoah Valley. The DEP let them do it anyway. Now, for heaven's sake, you, uh, sinkholes can open up anytime and they can get wider and wider and wider, you just don't know. And it's possible for a sinkhole to open up underneath one of these ponds that has a pretty thick liner, you know, I'll give them that, the, the liner's thick enough. But if the sinkhole gets so wide that it's wider than the liner, all that dirty water gets dumped into our groundwater. And well over half the people of Jefferson County get their drinking water from groundwater. This is the kind of thing that we have to fight. And I'm hoping that this investigation of Rockwell will show that our DEP should have required them to use the types uh, whatever type of stormwater management EPA requires in karst. That's just an example. Yeah, I agree with that. I don't really, yeah, personally, I don't see it as a kind of left-right issue, but I mean, it's, um, I do agree with you on the transparency part. So, I mean, that that is, a, is an issue um, about it. Okay, so do you see, I mean, it sounded like you were saying, I mean, it, I guess the construction's far along that, now, I do know they switched to natural gas. Do you see that as a positive uh, development? Uh, I do. Uh, it, it's not positive enough, but it is positive. Um, they have two furnaces, I'm told. There's a fuel furnace and, and a spinning furnace. <laughs> the spinning furnace, a friend of mine calls it the volcano furnace. That's where they spin the rock into fiber for the stone wool that they're manufacturing. And it, that requires some pretty hefty temperatures. The fuel furnace is different. Uh, about half of the air pollution, I'm told, comes from each. I don't know the exact amounts, but I'm told it's pretty close to half and half. By going from coal to natural gas, they cut the air pollution coming from the fuel furnace almost in half. I'm, I'm suggesting they should have gone to the electric arc furnace which Potomac Edison can do, and which one of their competitors, there's a competitor to Rockwell, uh, 
making stonewall insulation uh, in, um, in Jackson County uh, over at, uh, at Ravenswood. They used the electric arc furnace for their fuel furnace. This would have eliminated just about 100% of the pollution from fuel. So instead of, instead of reducing the air pollution by 25 to 30%, would have reduced it about 50%. Uh, anyway, all of these things are, 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 are what people who are fighting Rockwell are fighting for. On another topic with the uh, current COVID-19 regulations, or not regulations, but mandates of the governor, do you think he's overstepped his bounds and would you support like changing the, um, how do you say, code, you know, in West Virginia code, to require the legislature to review and like automatically review those kind of mandates, which now don't have any um, expiration, like make so maybe they would have a 30 day limit. The legislature must uh, reconvene. What do you think about that? Well, my, my biggest problem with the governor is he has overstepped his bounds in terms of giving out money. The state constitution does not permit the governor to appropriate money, yet he is taking it upon himself to do that. Uh, the governor does have broad emergency powers, but he cannot appropriate money. I think uh, most of the things that he's done, I probably would have voted for, but he needed to call the legislature into session and say, here's my plan, present the plan, let members offer amendments if they want it. We vote on the amendments and then we vote on the final plan. That's the proper way to have done this. Okay, so on a little different tack, but what about the con, yeah, I hear what you're saying, didn't, didn't get the legislature's input on the financing. It's not just input. The, the constitution re requires legislative approval for appropriating money. <laughs> okay, all right, fair enough, understood. On the constitutional side, what about the issues of, you know, for instance, saying which businesses could be open, they're quote unquote essential, others were not essential. As you know, many businesses have struggled, more than a few have shut down permanently. Do you feel this is an infringement of constitutional rights? Then on the individual side, you know, saying the say people have to wear masks in certain conditions based on spacing or I guess square footage of the business. Is this appropriate or is this not appropriate? Well, uh, I, I believe in the mask requirement. I, I think we all should have been required to wear masks from the beginning. If we had done that, if the president of the United States and all 50 governors had said that, I think we would have uh, fewer than half of the people who have died from COVID would have died from COVID. Um, now, in terms of businesses, if we had required people to wear masks, we could have let the businesses be open much more than they were. I think we went about it the wrong way. Mm -hmm. But you still didn't, did you say like, is it okay to like, well, to shut a business down? Does the governor have authority to say that these small businesses are not quote unquote non-essential or does he not have yeah. authority? I think the governor does have the authority to do it. I'm arguing that if he had required masks instead, we would not have had to shut them down. Okay, fair enough. That's clear. All right. Okay. On 
I've talked to you about this before. One issue I've worked on in the legislature, or not in the legislature, but you know, talking to legislators such as yourself, is issue of, of vaccine choice or health freedom. And specifically, in order to attend school in West Virginia, all, all vaccinations are required, no exceptions, except extremely hard to get medical exceptions, which are very few, like 100 statewide. So short question, do you support providing religious or conscientious exemptions for a parent or even can be an adult in some cases, like employees sometimes require vaccines, who has a conscientious or religious objection? Well, Richard, you know my answer to that question. So for the benefit of your listeners, I will say, no, I do not. Okay. And well, and also what might be the reasoning for that? Why do you think it's not appropriate? Public health. I mean, I the first requirement of government is protection of the public health and safety. I mean, that's why we have stop signs uh, and, and rules that you got to drive on a certain side of the road. Uh, yeah. Hmm. <laughs> to me, that's not a good idea. But we could probably have a long discussion on that. We'll yeah. leave it at that for now. That's clear enough for our viewers. On another, well, let's ask you about this too. So I believe, and you correct me if I'm wrong, you had introduced uh, legislation to have a type of red flag law where in certain circumstances that would mean firearms could be confiscated, I guess, in certain circumstances. And honestly, I haven't read your proposal, but or what it proposed legislation should say. But what sure. is that correct? You introduced that. And also, if so, why do you feel it's necessary? Because some people, very few, very small number of people, tiny minority, are in fact very, very dangerous to themselves and 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 to people around them, particularly their loved ones. And uh, you're right, I did sponsor that bill. It went nowhere. Uh, I did not expect it to go anywhere. The I was very careful. I researched there. I think about at least a dozen states have these laws. I researched them all. I regarded the one in Arizona as the one that was friendliest to civil liberties. I took the Arizona law and made it even more friendly to civil liberties. For example, under, under the bill I introduced, you cannot seize the, the firearm right away, uh, or at least you can, but only for a very short period of time. And the, the, gov the, the government is required within 10 days to give the person a hearing so the person can come up and, and say, here's why I am not a danger. Uh, and the burden of proof is on the state to prove the person a danger in that situation, not the reverse. So at any rate, um, I, I, I will say this, um, uh, Richard, the, even the American Civil Liberties Union of West Virginia opposed my bill, but in private conversation, they told me, John, you're right. You got the most civil liberties friendly version of this bill that there is anywhere in the country. So, and incidentally, since we're on guns, okay. if I might mention something, uh, sure. I did see the interview that you did with my opponent and he, uh, he was in serious error on, on, another, uh, 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 on, an, on another bill related to this subject. And that is the bill that he called the Castle Doctrine. I did not vote against the Castle Doctrine. I voted against a bill called the Castle Doctrine, but the Castle Doctrine is about your house. 
it comes from, and it's really interesting, it comes from the 1660s in England, in a, a case called Seaman's case that was decided by one of the greatest of all English jurists, Sir Edward Coke, who said, a man's house is his castle and he can therefore defend it uh, 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 with all vigor. Okay. Fine. This law says you can attack someone in public. Now, my opponent on your show said that, that this law that we passed, and I was the only person to vote against it, said that there was a duty to retreat. All contraire, it's not there. Uh, and, and as evidence of that, I offer up a case in Huntington four years ago, state of West Virginia versus Micah T. LeMaster. Micah spelled M-I-C-A-H. Micah LeMaster was sitting in his house, heard a knock on the door after dark, fired, fired a gun through the door. Uh, missed the person at the door, the person ran away. He went out of his house, out into either onto the sidewalk or onto the street. There are a couple of witnesses and, and they, uh, uh, it's kind of fuzzy on that, but he was at the very least out on the sidewalk, which is a public thoroughfare, shot the, the intruder in the back as that intruder left, shot him dead in the back while the guy was running away. Now, it just so happens Michael Master is white and the intruder was black. Mm -hmm. Read the judge's instruction to the jury. The judge said that under this law that Mr. Simon defends, all Lamaster had to say was, I was threatened. He didn't even have to prove he was threatened. He just had to say so. And he said to the jury, if he says he was threatened, you may not convict him. That, that's the situation. So this wait is a the minute. law. Okay. I don't, so my understanding would be if someone would enter. Now you said a guy knocked. I didn't understand what he said, but what I heard, and correct me. Okay. Somebody knocked on the guy's door. That's not like entering his house. Or there that was more correct. than that. But under the castle law, if he was afraid, I think he could probably legitimately fire the gun at the door. I don't think he should. I think you should find out for sure. But he probably could have legitimately under the traditional castle law, which has been on the books for centuries. And I support the castle law. Under that, he would have been okay. If he had stopped right then, there wouldn't have been a problem. And apparently, to, to, to add, add some more detail here, the guy who knocked on his door had a reputation for being, shall we say, a little bit mentally disturbed. He, he was on drugs a lot. And his brother lived across the street. The, a lot of people think he thought he was at his brother's house and just knocked on the wrong door. I see. Okay. I can't recommend on those specifics. Yeah. But so you're saying I've read the case, all six hundred yeah. words of it. But get let's get back to that. So but how does the case I mean, so you're saying that under this recently passed law in West Virginia, somehow that changed the previous have how long has West Virginia had the Castle Doctrine and why is this case particularly problematic? I mean Oh, it's problematic because it lets you go after someone who is retreating. And, and kill them. Now, the Castle Law is, is, has been on the books for, ever since West Virginia. But wait, wait, let me interject here. I'm mixed up here. So I thought the point about some states, I believe, correct me wrong, like Maryland, I think Maryland, require you, even if someone breaks into your house, 
you're not to shoot them, assuming you know you're living in a place where you can have a firearm. No, but no. you're to retreat from your own house. That's what I thought it meant. Am I no. mixed up? No, no, that no. is true in some case, some as jurisdictions. I'm pretty but sure that might be, but in West Virginia, the the traditional common law castle doctrine has always been applied, and that means you may defend your property. Even if someone steps, let's say you got a, a two foot white picket fence in front of your house. Even if someone steps across that, you, you, you have the ability to, to defend your, your property uh, with deadly force. But wait, 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 I don't think that's right. But anyway, not being a lawyer, but I yeah. don't think anybody would say it's legit. Even, yes, I understand someone may be trespassing in your property, but I don't think anybody would hold up in court if you shot them, you know, unless they were like pulled under, out a gun and pointed at you or something. Richard, like my point is under the law that we passed in 2008 that I was the only person to vote against, you may now do that. Hmm. Okay. I need to educate myself better. Yeah. Okay. But uh, so. Uh, and, and all you have to do is read the judge's instructions to the jury in this case. State of West Virginia versus Micah okay. T. Anderson. Right, After this happened, the research. prosecutor of Campbell County tried to get him convicted of negligent homicide. He only charged him with negligent homicide. And the judge said, you can't even convict him of that. So you're saying 133 legislatures are wrong. I don't say, I mean, I need to read it. Yeah, I, I said I so the time. Related to this, um, my opponent likes to at least leaves open the reference or, or the inference that I'm in favor of defunding the police, I am not. I wanna give the police more money. Specifically, I wanna raise their salaries. Uh, and I've always been an advocate for raising the salaries of the state police when I've been in the legislature, so there. Okay, fair, fair enough on that. On a, another like pre-local issue, here in, uh, I'm over in Shannondale, um, I've been talking, working with Steve Harris and others about the fact that in an emergency with four, 4,500 plus people down Mission Road, it would be hard, if impossible, to exit properly. So we need another exit, presumably to the south for Shannondale. Would you, as a legislator, support funding such a project? Absolutely. The problem is that you've got to go through Virginia to get there, about a mile of Virginia. And we've always had difficulty getting Virginia's permission. But I do think that if Ben Salango is elected governor, uh, I think he can probably sit down with Governor Northam of Virginia and work something out. Okay. All right. Yeah, it, it is a, a definitely a safety um, issue. Yeah, you're absolutely correct. Okay. Well, on the issue of I guess we could call it life. Like, when do you think conception begins? Like, what's I think I life knew what you meant? <laughs> <laughs> I believe that life begins at conception, but I do not know when that life becomes an independent human life and therefore a person. I just don't know after that. I believe that the moment of conception, that life is part of. Uh, the woman whose body it is in. It, it, it is part of that woman's body. And at some point between then and birth, that life becomes independent, therefore a person, and I don't know where it is. Okay. So 
do, do you, you know, support the so-called right of choice in abortion up till like uh, birth, would you say? Uh, birth? Only if. Before birth, of course. Uh, yeah, only, that, that late, only if the physical life of the woman is in danger. Okay. In other words, it's a case where the doctor says, we're very near birth, but if you give birth to this child, you're dead. Yeah. If it's a situation like that, then yes. I think that's very, very rare. Um, oh, I, I agree. It is very rare. Yeah. Okay. But overall, you would support the um, allowing I abortion. I believe in a woman's right to choose. I am not pro-abortion. I am pro-choice. Yeah, I, I hear what you're saying. Yeah. It's supposed to be rare and all that. Um, okay. I, yeah, I'd, li I'd, I'd like it to be, to be as rare as possible. Yes. Right. Okay. All right. Um, I was seeing on your website about the um, like opening of the um, schools and about the issue of wearing the mask. You were concerned um, about maybe the schools weren't ready. Do you want to make any comment on that? How do you feel about that now? Um, I I think the governor is trying to jerry-rig this for his own personal political benefit. He took the Harvard color-coded map. And if he was going to take it, he should have stuck by the map. But what he did is he took the map and then said, oh, this doesn't mean enough of our schools are open. So we're going to change the map around. Yeah, I, it, it is obviously being done politically. Now, I'm not going to claim to know. I'm not a scientist. I don't know which schools it's okay to open and which schools it isn't. Scientists developed that Harvard map, and I would tend to go by that map rather than uh, the jerry-rigged version of it that the governor has. Okay, you're saying the, the map was developed for, for West Virginia, though? No, the map was developed in terms of determining and using different conditions to determine the degree to which it was safe to open schools mm. in, in a given lo locale. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I've been kind of perplexed by the whole thing myself. I mean, in the sense that children themselves, I think it's, yeah, not I think, have very little risk. Of course, there are teachers there, but generally the COVID itself has proven to be much less deadly than we thought, you know, with a, you know, something like two five point two five percent um, let me say, infection fatality rate. All that being said, it seems it somewhat seems a lot of these things are political in the sense that, you know, they're um not there's a lot of unnecessary restrictions in my view. Do you have any comment on that? Um I think you and I would disagree on some of those restrictions. I think some of them are necessary. Okay. But the bottom line is this, I trust the science. And the reason it's gotten political is that we have too many elected political leaders and appointed political leaders that have 
attempted to ignore the science for their own political benefit. Okay, all right. Yeah, fair, fair enough on that. Um, yeah, I know, um, maybe one more question. I know we're moving along here. So on the issue of taxation or increasing taxes, I mean, that's a local issue. Personally, um, I know that's a, something we're deciding here. I'm not for the like excess levy. But in general, you know, would you say that, okay, I'll make a statement and then you can give your comment. Okay. Like, I think people are more capable of deciding how to spend their own money. So especially with like the, things like the excess levy, and you could apply this out to the state level and the schools, you know, get funding mostly from the, I guess, state level is that, or the state decides the funding. Would you say that, um, you know, we should in some cases increase taxes like on gasoline or other things or on con or various kinds of taxes, personal property tax or different things because, you know, there's a need for various programs or more to the side that, well, if people have more of their own money to spend, like the, the local school taxes, like 40% for that excess levy increase in the property tax. No, or you, no, no, Richard. 40%, I know it's been in effect for decades, I, but it costs, costs taxpayers 40% more than it was in effect. So and, I'm trying and, to say, and, should we reduce taxes? That's the easy way to put it. Or is it, oh, okay. do we need to keep them, increase them sometimes? Go ahead. Thank you, Richard. <laughs> Sorry, I got a little long-winded. That's all right, that's all right, that's all right. Uh, we're among friends here. Uh, the, some taxes should be reduced and some should not be. I have argued for get, doing away with the car tax. I think that is a real uh, pain in the butt when it comes to the functioning of the economy. Now, if you do away with the tax, you either have to reduce the budget or you have to find some another tax or fee or something to replace the money. I am I advocate doubling the severance tax on, on, on energy producing natural resources. That would give us an additional 250 to 300 million dollars a year in the state budget to do things with, and that would enable us to do away with the car tax. Now, it gets complicated because the car tax is part of the property tax. Property taxes go to local governments. So in order to do this, I think you have to mandate that the legislature come up with a replacement for local governments to get rid of that money. Uh, all of the property taxes go locally. And so the, the, uh, I, I would insist that, if, that, that even though I'm for getting rid of the car tax, You've got to have an absolute, it would have to be done by a constitutional amendment, and there would have to be an absolute hard and fast mandate in that constitutional amendment, forcing the legislature to replace the, the money for, for counties and cities and school districts dollar for dollar. Okay, that's one. Now, um, I think uh, the, the, the excess levy, yes, it's been on the books, but remember, in order to be there, it had to be voted on by a majority of the people. And uh, I can remember about 30 years ago when it was an 87% excess levy. Uh, and we tried and we increased it to 100%. It was a big debate and it finally passed. But the point is, 
the voters have accepted this. And the difference between the excess levy and the regular levy money is the regular levy money, uh, every penny we raise here displaces 90, 90 cents. Every dollar of regular levy money we raise here displaces 90 cents from the school aid formula we get from Charleston. You're so saying that when you say regular levy, you mean the regular levy for the school, right? Right. I'm talking about the school levy. Yeah. Go ahead. Continue. Yeah. Now, but the excess levy, every penny of that stays in Jefferson County. Now, I, I have already voted. I voted for the excess levy and I voted for the bond. But I will concede, Richard, I think they're both in trouble in this election. Well, there's a lot of wasteful spending. And I've, I, you may or may not have seen I've editorialized about that with the salary increases. And it's, darn it, you have to hire a detective to figure out what they did with the money. I mean, people are arguing, you know, on my editorial. Well, it says that $17 million is for salaries. Okay, whose salary? What salaries? As best I can tell, like something like 2% goes to actually teacher and service personnel salary. Well, where's all the money go, you know? I mean, it's not clear. Richard, again, transparency. I agree, but it's, it's not there. Essential. Yeah, yeah, it's not currently there. Okay, well, I think we're winding this down. So on a closing note, like, why should the voters choose you instead of your opponent, Mr. Simon? What would, what would you say? What do you say? Before I do that, there, there are a couple of other things that Mr. Simon said about me in the previous, uh, uh, in, in, in the, the, the edition that he was on that, that I need to correct. He okay. said that I supported the Mountain Party. I cannot ever remember saying I supported the Mountain Party, and I don't. Now, I'm a Democrat. Uh, I, now, it may be now, there was a time a number of years ago when minor parties, the Mountain Party, the Libertarian Party, the Constitution Party, wanted to relax the rules so it was easier for them to get on the ballot, and I supported them. But not just the Mountain Party, the others as well. Uh, that's the only time I, I can remember. But I, I certainly do, don't want people to vote for the Mountain Party uh, because I, I want Ben Salango to be elected governor. So I don't know where he got that idea. Okay. He also said that I voted against uh, uh, the, reducing uh, the tax on Social Security. I voted in favor of it. I voted against the original version of it, which did away entirely with it, simply because I thought the $60 million that it would, would hit to our budget would, uh, was too big. I voted for a version that gave, uh, a, 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 that eliminated the tax on Social Security for low and middle income people and left it on higher income people. So I just want to clear that up. Uh, and also one more, he talked about the <laughs> okay. pipe stem annexation. I'm sorry, go ahead. Oh. Uh, the pipe stem annexation, which he says produced Rockwell. Okay. Uh, here's what, and, and he went back as far as 2001. That was the original pipe stem annexation bill. What he didn't say was that Pipe stem annexations had been occurring before then. This was an attempt to eliminate pipe stem annexations. It turned out not to work very well, but the interesting thing is, uh, it was presented to us by the West Virginia County Commissioners Association. And the president of the West Virginia County Commissioners Association at the time, who came to Senator Herb Snyder and me, and said, we think this is a good plan, 
was Jim Rulin, who was at that time a member of the Jefferson County Commission and who is very active with the Republican Party of Jefferson County. And I'm not blaming Jim. What had happened was right now the, 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 the problem came to be annexation by minor boundary adjustment. That loophole was found after we passed the first bill. Nobody knew it was there. There was a different loophole that Jim Ruland and the county commissioners were trying to correct, and Herb Snyder and I helped him correct that. So I just wanted to get that on record, Richard. But my understanding was that that is a, I mean, that does seem to be a problem. I mean, it's kind of really weird that, you know, the Rockwell area is part of Ranson when it's not, and that does, so I think and the, uh, now the that has been is, corrected, right? It's yeah, not adjacent to Ranson, am I not correct? That's not adjacent to No, they, they used a highway. That's why it's called pipe stem, sometimes called shoestring. Right. You take two or three miles of a highway, it connects you to a farm, you annex the highway and the farm. Uh, it's, um, uh, and, and the irony is, it happened when Dave Hamill was mayor of Ranson, God rest his soul. Dave Hamill wanted to shed Ranson of its, of its reputation as being a factory town. And he envisioned uh, a, a moving the train station, the commuter train station from Duffields to that location, to, to Carneysville. Right. Uh, and it was going and, and, and turning that into uh, a multi-use complex, offices, retail, apartments, single family homes. And I- Yeah, I saw could, that, I saw yeah, that. And that was Dave Hamill's vision. And that's why he persuaded Ranson to do that pipe stem annexation, to shed their manufacturing image. And look what we have now. Well, I'll agree with you on lack of transparency in that. That's certainly a problem. Yeah. I'm not enough up to answer properly about all the different legislation of 2001 and you said previous. But I do believe that has been corrected now, right? That is correct. The pipe, the problem of the pipe stem and what do you call oh, line your yes, boundary the, adjustment? That's exactly right. When when the second one happened, Herb Snyder and I went to work again, and we passed a bill. I think it was in '08, uh, and and that's what created what's called the urban growth boundary. But uh, said, like Mr. Simon was saying, there was a more recent bill in the last session or so about the uh, so-called minor boundary adjustment. But th there was, there was, and again, and and he is right about this. The Municipal League and the County Commissioners Association are constantly fighting each other over stuff like this. And the legislature has to come in and referee. And what we usually say is, if you two come together on something, we'll pass it. We'll, we'll presume it's okay with both of you and pass it. Uh, and that sort of approach usually works, but every now and then it doesn't. Okay, all right. So while well, we've talked about a number of issues. Yeah, so in conclusion, like, uh, I guess you've indirectly or directly talked about a lot, but did you want to say anything else about, you know, how you will differentiate yourself and why voters should choose you versus Mr. Simon? Well, I, I think I have, uh, and, and I hope uh, uh, I hope I've answered all your questions. I would just okay. say this: he calls himself a common sense candidate, and I personally don't think he's making sense. <laughs> okay, I guess the viewers <laughs> will have to look and see what yeah. you're saying and decide on that. You know, absolutely. But um, I do appreciate very much you uh, coming on, you know, today. And you're um, thank you very much.
So I'm Richard Urban, your host, and we will see you next time. Do be blessed.